Dream to Reality Entertainment presents the Think Tank Podcast. Starring your host, he's a podcaster, photographer, filmographer, writer, conspiracy fascist, entrepreneur, explorer, color commentator, picky eater, beer ninja, secret agent, and the world's most influential humanoid, he is Ryan the Area Man. And now, coming to you pre-recorded from the very secretive D2R studios, deep undercover in the world's deepest, darkest, most secure, Hadron Collider and nuclear bomb tested and approved doomsday bunker, here is Ryan the Area Man! What is up, everybody? I'm Ryan the Area Man, this is the Think Tank Podcast. Today, <coughs> sorry, man, I'm uh, dealing with a little uh, sinus infection, and it, it uh, got that drainage going down my throat, and you know I'm fine, and then I hit record, and I start to talk, and then it's like, oh, you got this thing, oh, it sucks. Anyways, um, that's not what today's episode about. Today's episode about uh, the Waco incident, Waco, Texas, David Crash, Branch Davidians, uh, just about everybody that was alive in the uh the uh mid to late 80s or 80s or any time before that we'll uh we'll definitely remember this now i'm getting a fucking phone call jesus christ what's going on here all right anyways good thing i had it all right yeah it's good stuff so anyways uh if you were born in the early 90s you may not remember the waco incident you probably have no idea what last week's episode was about, but we did catch you up with a wonderful little uh, audio package, and then Dave and I discussed it thoroughly afterwards. Um, and uh, same deal today. It's going to be a an audio package. It's video. You can find the video on YouTube, but I uh, just grabbed the audio, and we'll play that, and then afterwards we discuss it thoroughly. Um, it's... Uh, it's quite an interesting thing, and and uh, like we ended last week's episode, these all lead to next week's episode, which I'll talk about on the back end. But uh, basically, this was a series of events that kind of led to one giant event at the end. And uh, yeah, so that's why we're doing this. It's kind of a three-part series that you would normally think don't have anything to do with each other, but they all uh, inspired next week's big event. So anyways, before we get into the episode, um, you do shopping online, of course you do. Uh, before you go directly to Amazon, do us a favor here at the Podcast Network. Um, go to thearyman.com, click the Sponsor tab, then the Amazon banner. It'll take you directly to Amazon. You can bookmark it. Never have to go through those steps again. Just go to your bookmark every time after that when you want to do your shopping. Um, buy whatever you're going to buy. And uh, it costs you nothing extra. There's no, like, tricks or, you know, anything like that to this. All it is is you're going to buy what you're going to buy after you click through our banner. Amazon sees you clicked our banner and says, Hey, as a thanks, 
to the podcast network for sending you here to buy the stuff, we're going to throw that podcast network a small percentage back as a thanks. So basically Amazon sharing their profits because if you sell something on Amazon, Amazon makes the money and the person selling the item makes the money. Well, Amazon saying, well, instead of us taking, you know, 50% or 30% or 20% or whatever it is that they make, they're going to, you know, cut off a percent of their of their percentage and send it to the podcast. And that's how we make money without you, without asking you to donate to us. You're going to shop online anyways. So just click our banner and, uh, you know, Amazon's going to give us some of their profits. And you still get an amazing low price. So you can't beat it. So do it. You know, thanks. Also, phoenixbeardoils.com. If you have a beard or know somebody that has a beard, and, uh, well, you want to get them a gift of something that they may or may not even know about, it's beard oils. You're wondering what the hell a beard oil is? Well, go to phoenixbeardoils.com, and uh, you can learn all about it. There's tons of fragrances to choose from. If you can't decide on just one, two, three, or four, then get the sampler pack. And you'll get every fragrance. And try them all out. And then you, when you go back and and uh, you're like, oh, I've decided on these two, then, uh, yeah, you're good to go. But each time you check out from phoenixbeardoils.com, enter the promo code D2R, and you shall get 10% off your entire order. Yeah, that's pretty cool, right? Uh, also... Um, because you entered the promo code D2R, they're going to throw in a free sample just for you. Something free. So if you decided on two fragrances, uh, they may throw in a free sample of their newest fragrance or something similar or in the same kind of like uh, smell category of the one or two or three or four that you just purchased. They'll try and pair it, or they may give you something from, uh, you know, fitting the season. And there's a Christmas one. Probably wouldn't give you the Christmas one in the middle of summer, but may give you the Christmas one closer to Christmas time. You know, things like that. Anyways, um, yeah, you get a free sample. You can't beat it. So under the promo code D2R, you get 10% off your entire order and a free sample. I don't see why you wouldn't do it. Anyways, let's get into this Waco episode and uh, enjoy. She's shining. She's the only one to see. She's shining. She's the only one for him. She's shining. She's the only song to see. Shana she's the only one, one for him. Oh, oh, oh. 
of Waco, Texas, lie the graves of dozens of men, women, and children. I miss him so much. Victims of an American tragedy. I looked at that building hoping and praying I'd see kids, and uh, they weren't there. How did one man hold complete control over a religious cult? Show him daddy's face. <laughs> He had this ability to mesmerize uh, his followers. Defy the FBI for over 50 days. When did he plan to come out? He said his God says that he is to wait. Steve, I want him to come out. And lead his people into the depths of the ultimate horror. This is hell on earth. And I'm standing right in the middle of it. You claim to be the Messiah. The time is to lead your people out now. Like, everything I knew was just gone. And there was no fixing it. Dispatcher, she says, I think this calls for you. Yeah, this Lieutenant Lynch, may I have you? Yeah, there's 75 men around our building and they're shooting at us in Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel? They were very excited. Excitable, I guess would be a fair statement. Yeah, I'll tell them there are children and women in here and to call it off. All right, all right, uh, hello? I hear gunfire. Oh, It just uh, started to, uh, I guess, go downhill from there. A firefight rages near Waco, Texas, pitting agents from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, the ATF, 
against well-armed members of a religious cult. Within the compound, there's a vast arsenal of weaponry, which government agents believe is illegal. When they attempt to serve a warrant, all hell breaks loose. Cease firing. Let's resolve this, Wayne, before someone gets hurt. With officers being shot dead, another voice comes over the line. Yeah, this Lynch. Hey, Lynch. Yeah, that's that kind of funny name there. He comes on the phone. Oh, uh, no, look. Now, who am I speaking with? Uh, this is David Koresh. Okay, David. The notorious. David Koresh is the leader of a small community of Christians called the Branch Davidians. They've lived quietly in Waco since the mid-50s. But when Koresh arrived in 1981, everything changed. He was a very, very charismatic um, and very smart individual. He had actually been called a retardo as a young kid because he was not book smart. But he had this ability to memorize and mesmerize uh, his followers. Koresh believed that he was a prophet of God and he had a mesmerizing control, especially over his female followers. Betty Crush was very strict. You only looked at a man, at your husband, when you were talking to him. I mean, he didn't wear jewelry, he didn't wear makeup, he didn't wear, like, a skirt. Koresh preached that he was leading his followers into a dark, apocalyptic future. The belief was that David was going to lead his followers in a final conflict with the beast, with Babylon, and that that would allow the Davidians to be instantly taken into heaven. Authorities had long held concerns about child abuse at Mount Carmel, and in preparation for Armageddon, Koresh had stockpiled hundreds of guns. Law enforcement monitored the compound for months. Koresh knew he was under suspicion. It makes nobody's business whether we have a gun or not at this place. Guns are the right of Americans to have. They come in here with a gun and they start shooting at us. What would you do? By noon on the 28th of February, almost two hours after it began, the longest gunfight in American law enforcement history is over, and the authorities are the loser. Four ATF officers are dead. They leave behind over a hundred members of the cult holed up inside the compound, refusing to leave. Within hours, the FBI are on the scene, setting up a command post. FBI technicians were running in with all sorts of equipment and phone lines and desks and office supplies. Byron Sage is one of the first FBI negotiators on the scene. A family man with over 20 years experience, he's a veteran of high-pressure negotiations. It was still a very uh, high-energy type of situation, uh, adrenaline flowing for everybody, and we knew we were in for one hell of a ride. Tape recorders will record every word of negotiations, over 200 hours in total. 
some of which have never been broadcast until now. Negotiators begin by trying to strike up a relationship with David Koresh. Get them, What's your favorite? I knew that the path towards resolution would go through David Koresh because everything that I had learned was that David Koresh was in absolute control of everyone inside. That everything's okay if you and me are talking, and, and that's the main thing. Right from the start, everyone knows the priority. Our overwhelming interest was to get those kids out of harm's way. On the wall are what we call information boards. And at the top was uh, the safe release of the children. I want to know, what do you think, how could we resolve this? I mean, how could we save these children and women and everybody? We pounded this into the conversation. David, you've got to get those kids out of harm's way. I mean, how can we stop any more of this? And Come on, you and me can do it. You and me can do it. By mid-afternoon on the first day, negotiators have a breakthrough. David Koresh offers them a deal. If you read these verses of scripture on the radio, then he would release the children. That's a pretty good bargain. Um, we give up relatively nothing, and we save some lives. Okay. Hey, David, I just got the word from the radio people. If you will give me your message, they will play it. Now, you got to give me word for word what you wanted to say. Slow, now i got to write it. <laughs> My God, who sits on the throne. The standoff is now headline news across America. But first, we'll get caught up on the siege at a religious cult compound near Waco, Texas. There were journalists from all over they're broadcasting um, daily, nightly, you know, waiting for them to come out. In the early evening, Koresh's sermon is played on local radio. For some said, he is a good man. Others said, nay, but he deceiveth the people. And the deal to release the children goes into effect. He agreed to release the children two by two. Everything had a biblical nuance to it. There was a flurry of activity at the last checkpoint. Some of the kids were coming out. It was stunning to see how these, these kids came out. These are beautiful young kids. And, yeah, it, it registered. Uh, registered with all of us that we were thankful that they were out and we were prepared to just roll up our sleeves do anything we could to get the rest up now by nightfall on day two 14 children have been released now Koresh makes an audacious request Without warning, Koresh raised the idea of being able to deliver a message to the nation. 
Maybe, maybe a Ted Koppel or something. I mean, something dynamic. Yeah. You know, Ted Koppel, I mean, uh, who's watching that? I mean, well, we, we need to watch to get it to the people who are uh, religious. But you have to put in there that if we play this, you agree to surrender. Our intent was to lock him in to a promise. Okay, so what do you want me to say? Okay, let me read it to you again. All right. I agree. I agree. That upon the broadcasting of this tape. That upon the broadcasting of this tape. To come out peacefully with all the people immediately. Immediately upon the conclusion of the playing of the tape, he and all of his people would come out peacefully. As morning breaks on the third day, it seems the standoff is about to come to an end. People were running around packing bags and bringing them up near the front door, ready to go, sort of thing. Uh, looking forward to it. I was, you know, fully dressed. I had my bags packed, you know, standing at the door waiting. This, we thought, was the key that was going to going to seal the deal and we were ready to go at 1:30 p.m. CBN begins to broadcast Koresh's sermon in the book of Revelation commentary state that what John has written in scripture but as the sermon plays things were not happening no one was coming out we called into Steve Snyder Koresh's number two man and we said hey what's going on uh, I just talked to him. He's been going through a lot of anguish. And what the guy just went through, I've never seen anything like it before. But he wanted me to remind you to read Psalms chapter 2. Everything's ready to go right now. But all of a sudden, I mean, he started praying. With whole families lined up and moments from safety, Koresh is having second thoughts. David sent word down that uh, for all those that are packing bags... Forget about it, because you're not going on a vacation. He gave us his word. I know that. that I'm aware of that. That after the message was read. Yes, but what if there is a higher power than you and I that speaks to an individual? Be aware of who you're dealing with. Just remember that David told the world. I understand that. That he was coming out. Can I read Revelation 18 to you? Steve, I want him to come out. He said his God says that he is to wait. He had agreed to, to every aspect of it, and then he lied. Three days into the siege at Waco, David Koresh has received word from God that he is not to allow any more releases from the Mount Carmel compound. Koresh was ambivalent. Um, part of him was ready to surrender and part of him just couldn't quite do it. Koresh's refusal to leave enrages the hostage rescue team, the elite assault unit deployed outside the compound. Koresh is playing the negotiators. He's just playing them. He's just stringing this out for as long as he possibly can. Jim McGee is an assault team operator at Waco. It seemed to me that it fit well within the FBI's deadly force policy for a sniper to have been given a green light, take him out, cut the head off the snake. But with no authority to assassinate Koresh, the hostage rescue team respond by sending in tanks to intimidate the Branch Davidians. We weren't going away. 
we were going to continue to move closer, and life inside of the compound was going to become, you know, more and more difficult. Over the following days, negotiators working under extreme pressure managed to secure the release of a handful of children. They would be picked up by the tactical people, turned right over to a hostage negotiator who I would send up there, and we would put the child on the lap of the negotiator and we would call in. Mark Jones is one of the children released. Just 12 years old, he's grown up with his parents at Mount Carmel. Dad here. Hello. Hello? Hello, Mark. Hi. How you doing, buddy? Fine. Uh, I almost want to cry. I haven't heard that in a long time. We knew that the manner with which we treated those who came out, especially the children, would be a marker for those inside. That, um, the agents treated... That's real good. They did? Yeah. We're not the beast. They don't have to worry about how they're going to be treated when they come out. So are you okay, baby? And they gave me a soda and a candy bar. <laughs> and you can almost hear the surprise in the adult's voice. Uh, I mean, that's what I'm hearing. It's like, oh, they did? Two days later, Mark's nine-year-old sister, Heather, is also released. I did not want to walk out those doors. They had to push me. These two, three, four guys took me into a little room, and they had these recorders, and they told me that I was going to get to talk to my dad. Hi, Daddy. Hi, Heather. This is the first time I've ever heard it since I left. What you doing? You're sitting in a chair. You're just sitting in a chair? Yeah. How'd you like your little ride? It was fun. It was bumpy. Well, you be a good girl and don't forget what you know. Okay. <laughs> I remember all that. I remember everything he said to me on that. I saw you walk up to the gate. You had a heavy bag of clothes, didn't you? Yeah. It took you forever. I know. Was you warm enough in your coat? Yeah. I had promises to wipe away tears from all eyes, but in the meantime, it, it's, it's kind of tough, though. I miss him so much. I didn't realize... I wasn't ever going to see him again. Be a good girl. I'll see you, okay? I didn't understand what he was telling me. I didn't understand that he was telling me that he would see me when I died. That I wasn't ever going to get to see him again. Daddy? Yes? You want to touch me? Okay. Bye. Bye. I love you. The standoff is now into its second week. 
only a handful of the children have been released, and at least 20 more are still inside the compound. For the negotiators, their release is the number one priority and their main leverage with David Koresh. We told David that if two of the children come out, six gallons of milk go in. It's as simple as that. The decision had already been made to send milk in. You always try to get something in return, if at all possible. Hello? Well, he said kiss my ass. Well, I kind of expected something like that. Did it work? We didn't get any kids as a result of it. There's another reason why we sent the milk in, and that was to send in a, um, a listening device. The planted microphones reveal a chilling glimpse into the mindset of the cult leader. Rachel, get those children under control. They're not seeing that today. Just have them down below their heads all. It's now nine days into the siege at Waco. In an attempt to keep open a line of communication, negotiators send in a camera. We wanted to see who we were dealing with, put a face to the name and so forth. Hours later, a tape is delivered from the compound. And we just thought we'd kind of break the ice and allow people to see just exactly, you know, what kind of people we have here. Hello, Jim. Hi, Jim. Hi, Jim. Hello, John. Hello, John. Gary. Gary. When you heard them say, say hello to John, say hello to Gary, that was us. Show him Daddy's face. <laughs> You're my love baby, right? It showed him probably at his best, instead of an angry, controlling, Bible verse spouting kind of guy, we, we saw a glimpse of a family man. But the video also reveals a shocking insight into life inside Mount Carmel. Each of the children shown in the video has the same father, David Koresh. It appeared that the men inside willingly gave their wives and perhaps their daughters to David for whatever use he decided to make them. Sheila Martin is the wife of Wayne, one of Koresh's closest confidants. His wife was always first in his life. His the wife he married. The other women were women who chose to accept him as a husband and to have children with him. The family that you just showed that is yours. Is that family mentioned in the scriptures? Anything to do with the seventh seal? It has everything to do with the seals, you know? That really was a benchmark moment as far as realizing the magnitude of control that we were dealing with. Despite the revelation of Koresh's unconventional personal relationships, negotiators still see the video as progress. We were quite pleased that maybe this is an indicator that we're back on track and headed back in the right direction. But just as they're opening up a highly personal contact with Koresh, outside the hostage rescue team have had enough. You've got a room of alpha males. And at some point, they're going to take it upon themselves to push the issue a little bit. 
With temperatures plummeting, they cut off electricity to the compound and send in the tanks. And the whole building just starts shaking like there's an earthquake going on. Boy, if these guys start using this shooting with these tanks, this place is going to look like Swiss cheese, you know. This now escalates the tension, both sides doing something that angers the other side. And that is exactly what we want to try to avoid uh, in good negotiations. After 12 days, and with the FBI seemingly working against each other, the negotiators make another attempt to break the deadlock. We videotaped ourselves, something never done before and probably never done since. I have a family too, and these other gentlemen who have talked to you, they have family. I have a picture here of my son. You know, look at the picture, he certainly is his father's son. Gary was on it, Dick Wren was on it, I was on it. Gary mentioned that, uh, that we're all family men. Uh, I'm proud of my family. I can tell from the tapes and conversation with you all that you're, you're proud of them as well. I showed him a picture of my youngest son. That's not just rhetoric. Ergo, I'm his dad, and I love that kid. Uh, just like we knew that they loved theirs. We want to make these things, people understand that we're fathers, we're husbands, we're everything that apparently has some meaning to them. We're not there to judge them, we're there to get them out safely. It was an emotional roller coaster. Koresh now withdraws and becomes reluctant to talk. The negotiations have stalled. We were not getting people out. We hadn't had a child out since 5th of March. The FBI now call in local Sheriff Harwell to try to reason with the cult leader. Let me ask you, David, man to man, what can we do right this minute to get things moving so we can get this thing maybe resolved today? Well, you tell these agents that as an American citizen, somebody has stepped on my property and there's going to be some butt whooped over this. Either my butt or it's going to be their butt. David, I'd like to sit down and just talk face to face with you. Later that day, under cover of snipers, the sheriff and Byron Sage set up a meeting. We met out um, about 50 yards out from the front of their compound. You could feel the crosshairs on the back of your head. It was intense. The face-to-face -face is with Koresh's deputy, Steve Schneider, and Wayne Martin. I said, you need to understand, there are two documents that I live by. One is the Constitution, and one is the Bible. And I would give my life to defend both of them. That's why I'm standing here. We were not here to usurp their rights. We were here to give them an opportunity to exercise them. Byron, I can honestly tell you, I believe everything you said. I'm going to do all I can to go back and relay everything that you said in the manner you have. Later that night, surveillance bugs pick up Schneider talking to David Koresh.
but Koresh orders that no more meetings are to take place. Koresh stopped the meetings because I think he was concerned about losing control. Sixteen days in, and the negotiators have hit a dead end. What began as a routine raid is turning into one of the longest standoffs in American history. Three weeks into the standoff at Waco, and finally a breakthrough. In a slow trickle in groups of twos and threes, more Branch Davidians are exiting the beleaguered compound. Seven Branch Davidians leave the compound. That big cluster of folks came out um, as a direct result of a lot of hard work we had done to regain the trust of Steve Snyder. That, that was a big deal. This is genuine progress. But for the hostage rescue team outside, the seven releases are not enough. Without consultation, very aggressive tactical action was taken. I heard some crunching or something. I looked out the window and I see one of your tanks ran over the guard shack. I thought that was pretty cute. There were some vehicles that I think were prize vehicles of Koresh. I think one was a El Camino, another one was maybe a Camaro or a Firebird. Yeah, they became part of the debris pile. Steve Schneider calls up in disbelief. What now? The tank uh, just ran it over. You're kidding. Huh. I know that they've been ordered not to go in there. Seven people volunteered to go out. And then we feel like we got punished for it by them starting to tear everything up. Steve Schneider threw it right back at us. We send seven people out and you tear our place up. And he was right. The hostage negotiators are trying to talk the people out, and everything that the tactical people are doing seems to be pressuring and making the Davidians more afraid that something awful is going to happen to them if they step out. But the hostage rescue team is determined to keep up the pressure and begin to resort to desperate measures. Hello, John. <laughs> I can't even keep a straight face here. What is it? Your friends are playing some unique music here. The hostage rescue team is pumping music into the compound. Yeah, that was the whole purpose, sleep deprivation. Should have been accomplishing its goal because I know none of us were asleep. Deep into the night, Koresh answers back with his own defiant response. He, you know, was set up by uh, some speakers and uh, had an amp. He played electric guitar. You know, we could hear the, the noise going back and forth. It was, it was almost ludicrous what was going on, beyond farce. For the negotiators, it's a crushing blow, unraveling weeks of patient dialogue. I think every member of the negotiation team was embarrassed. Words can't express my disappointment in that, the height of folly. Relations between the FBI negotiators and the hostage rescue team are now at breaking point. We almost saw negotiators and assaulters come to blows, you know, fist fight, because they were, there was so much frustration. I went in to see the on-scene commander and I said, because of this, we are not going to get anybody else out. And nobody did. A slow, grinding deadlock sets in. Only one more Branch Davidian is released. 
and all sides hunkered down to a war of attrition. Then, 46 days into the standoff, Koresh makes a final offer. Okay, you're going to write the meaning of the seven seals, and then you're coming out. Exactly. I can go on paper here and say that David Koresh told me that as soon as he finishes this manuscript, I'll be split on his planes. I'm so sick of MREs. Okay, how long is that going to take? Two weeks. And of course, the tactical guys kind of, you know, threw their hands back. Two more weeks. They certainly didn't believe that this was anything but a ruse. They certainly believed that this was another effort to buy time. He was just playing the negotiators again. It was just another stall tactic. He's just playing them like a chess game. Over the following days, Koresh ties up the negotiators with endless talk of scripture. And give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment is come. Where I come from, there's strictly seven seals. Outside, an overwhelming sense of resignation sets in. They were never coming out. Listen, you have David Koresh in here with as much food as he can eat in a year, almost two million rounds of ammunition, uh, a number of women that apparently are there for you to have whatever relationship you choose to have with them. On one hand, on the other hand, you can go to prison, you can be convicted uh, potentially of murder, that's the death penalty. I didn't see it as a, a decision that would have been difficult to make. And over a thousand miles away in Washington, Talks are going on at the highest level to bring the standoff to a close. We hadn't had a person out for nearly a month. What are your options? I mean, at one extreme of the, the potential violence is a full-out assault. We weren't going to do that. And the opposite extreme is the introduction of CS tear gas. After 50 days, the talking is over. Washington approves a plan to allow the FBI to use force to end the standoff once and for all. I remember the morning of the 19th of April as if it was yesterday. It was pitch dark outside. It was just before six in the morning. And it was cold. And my instruction was to put a call into the compound to advise them that we were prepared to introduce tear gas. This is Byron Sage. We're in the process of placing tear gas into the building. Click. He hung the phone up on me. Surveillance bugs pick up the chaos from inside the compound. We began to wake up people that were asleep. Steve ran around saying, get your gas masks, or whatever, if, if they had them. Just after 6 a.m., Bradley Tanks approached Mount Carmel. We started to enter the compound. But almost immediately... Gunfire erupted from multiple windows. And that, of course, triggered it from plan A immediately to plan B. The initial plan is to insert hundreds of rounds of CS gas over two days. But with gunfire coming from the compound, 
It's decided that all of the gas is to be inserted at once. Byron and I, we had a script. We are in the process of placing tear gas into the building. In an effort to uh, direct you out of the building, this is not an assault. Do not fire your weapons. If you fire, fire will be returned. Do not shoot. This is not an assault. The gas you smell and will continue to detect is a non-lethal tear gas. We repeated this over and over and over and over. Instructions had been given to the women to take the kids into the vault. I saw a couple of women come down and it was made clear that there were no gas masks for the kids. It wasn't going well. It wasn't going well. Nobody was appearing to show an interest in coming out of that location. From inside the compound, surveillance bugs pick up what appears to be a chilling recording. There is pretty clear audio that I hope you have because the next order is to begin to spread the fuel. I saw a wisp of smoke it was in the second story window. And almost simultaneous to that, we heard from another Bradley reporting the same thing. I saw a fire developing in what appeared to be three different areas. The FBI believe the Branch Davidians have begun to set light to their compound. David, please do not continue to expose those children to any more discomfort. That decision is yours and solely yours. 30 mile an hour gust probably today. This thing is going to burn like a, a matchbox. Clive Doyle and the other Branch Davidians are still inside the burning building. Wayne Martin comes in. He took his gas mask off. He kind of just slid down the wall into a sitting position. So people are saying, Wayne, what do you reckon we ought to do? All he said was, I think you better pray. That's when we realize, you know, they're, they're, gonna, they're committing suicide. They're going to burn themselves to death. I just... Um... I tried to reach out straight to David. You claim to be the leader. You claim to be the prophet. You claim to be the Messiah. The time is to lead your people out now. I said, David, you're, you claim to be a savior. Save those people. Don't end it this way. It was difficult to believe that people would stay inside under those conditions. Ten miles away, Mark Jones and the other released children are in a children's home waiting for news of their parents. We're sitting in the uh, front den area. They came in and just turned on the news. And I remember a lot of the girls saw it burning and you know a bunch of them are crying and going underneath the couches and stuff like that. Clive Doyle decides to make an escape from the inferno. I kind of jumped down from, from the hole onto the ground. As I got out into the light, I could see the skin just rolling off my hand. It wasn't blistering, it was just rolling off. I looked over my shoulder, and the hole I'd just come through was a mass of flames. Thoughts in my head was, I'm the only one that got out of there. There's nobody coming out that hole now. 
I specifically yelled at one Davidian in particular, Clive Doyle. This guy over at the tank, he's screaming, where are the kids, where are the kids? And I said, where are the kids? I said, I don't know. This is uh, Byron Sage. The medical facilities are already ready to assist you upon your exit. When the tower collapsed from the fire, um, I decided to terminate the broadcast. That was not an easy choice. Um, by flipping that switch, I ended 51 days of over 52 negotiators. Um. Doing the best that we could. to get those people out. And we're not in the business of failure. And throwing that switch was an admission that we had failed. By 12.20 p.m., the compound is a raging inferno. Only nine Branch Davidians have left and over 70, including dozens of women and children, are still inside. I walked around the corner and I looked at that building, hoping and praying that uh, I'd see kids lined up. And uh, they weren't there. As the fire subsides, Jim McGee is the first FBI officer on the scene. I was the first one to uh, see where the kids were. I couldn't step from one point to another without stepping on, you know, a, 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 a skeleton. This is hell on earth, and I'm standing right in the middle of it. told us that our parents had committed suicide and killed themselves. And I was thinking, my dad wouldn't do that. I hid under a table. Didn't come out. Like everything I knew was just gone. And there was no fixing it. That's the thing about tragedies. Uh, you can... Uh, you can talk about them, but it sneaks up, it sneaks up on you. Those who came out left children in there. 
you know, who makes that kind of decision? I lost my daughter. She was found, from what I understand, she was found on top of the, the vault, which would be second floor level of, of the building. The remains of many of the dead Branch Davidians lie buried in a pauper's grave, 10 miles from Mount Carmel, victims of an American tragedy. Do I blame David? I'd rather blame God. What's up, Dave? Yo, 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 my brother. <laughs> so, last week, we talked about Ruby Ridge. Dude, yeah. Rachel. Rachel Weaver. Rachel Weaver, yeah. <laughs> the mystery. The mystery, the unsolved mystery. We need to get, what's his name, out of here and do that. Robert Stack? Yeah. <laughs> um... Mm-hmm. Yeah, what happened to Rachel Weaver? <laughs> That's what I want to know. I don't know how it goes, but something like that. Um, it was a cold Wednesday morning. Rachel Weaver wasn't there. <laughs> just uh, you weren't there. No, let's no. make it up. Improv on the go. Okay. I'm gonna cue it up. Too bad we don't. Uh, On the morning of a Wednesday, July 14th, Rachel Weaver went missing. Her father, mother, father's friend Kevin, daughter Sarah, and son were all part of a siege of a Ruby Ridge. But Rachel, who is this fucking woman? <laughs> That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> Who the fuck is Rachel Weaver? Anyways, <laughs> we're not doing a whole episode on Rachel Weaver. Not today. Not today, at least. I mean, <laughs> tune in someday for maybe someday. I'm, I'm going to reach out to Rachel Weaver and see if she, she today. Exist, bro. Uh, she must because they gave money to somebody. What if they had? I don't know. What if they adopted? Like, what if dude adopted another daughter? Said, "Oh yeah, this is my. That's our daughter. We had a daughter." <laughs> And mm, nope. What if they dressed the dead son of... Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Christ. I don't know. There's something. Something. Okay, so Anyhow. today we're going to talk about Waco. We just played a nice little video for everybody. Yeah, Got to listen nice. to it. We watched it. The The Waco Siege. Uh, just want to start this one off. Snopes! What? The very reliable Snopes says, Hillary Clinton was responsible for the Waco massacre... They've determined that is false. What? I think that I didn't even know that was a thing. Someone actually uh, said that Hillary Clinton was involved in that. Uh, well, they s- she probably deleted the email. Bill Clinton <laughs> supposedly, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, supposedly, there was like a a whole thing with not necessarily Hillary, but a Bill Clinton thing to do with like not that he was behind it, but like you know, being the president. What's going on with the fucking... I don't know, it was like clipping it out. Oh, I just... Uh, yeah, yours. I, I just... 
It wasn't all the way in. Yours is messing with mine, too. I heard it clicking. I was kind of looking. Why would yours mess with mine when they're already split nine times? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. That was weird, dude. Like, it was just fucking Hillary Clinton. Let me make sure it's in all the way. Let me ask Snopes if Hillary Clinton was behind our headphones being (laughs) fucked up right there. (laughs) Oh, Snopes isn't talking about that. It's false. Dude, that is so weird, though. Like, because it's been fine all morning for the last ten minutes. And, like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't the whole time. I don't know. But it's it's in. Yeah, you got forty seven feet of cord. <laughs> no, we used well, that not enough. Maybe maybe I accidentally rolled over it and it yeah. unhooked just enough. But right. then when I sat like because I, I just rolled back just now and that's when it started yeah. going weird. And I picked it up to look at it. That's that was weird. Weird. Ghost. But yeah, why does it do? That? It makes no sense why it fucks with yours. I don't know. So if I disconnect mine, do you not hear anything? <laughs> On the morning, <laughs> where David and Ryan were doing a podcast. Hillary Clinton is suspected of undoing our headphone cords. <laughs> that cunt. Today, we're going to investigate Hillary Clinton's emails. Ooh, she has deleted all of them. But yet, she's still going to run for president in 2020. This she bitch did. is nuts. Did you dare? Cash me outside. How about that? Don't. Yeah. How, how about that bitch? Cash Hillary Clinton outside. How about they cash each other outside? Just cash oh, up their tickets. Man, I would totally watch that. <laughs> Punch fucking, out their uh, tickets. Celebrity all, boxing. All 14 Hillary Clintons versus the two <laughs> cash me yes. outside bitches. Interesting uh, little piece there. All right, all right so let's get for real. Waco. Let's get real on the wacko. Yeah, let's see. We're definitely wacko for this Okay, episode. so, dude, I, I kind of vaguely remember this. Like, yes. you know, I was super young, too. Well, you were super young, but they... Okay. I remember this more so than the Ruby Ridge shit. yeah. Well, Ruby Ridge was before this. Right, right, right. And and obviously, all right, so real quick, let's... There's a whole giant connection between Ruby Ridge leading to, kind of, not leading to, but there's a connection with it and with Waco that eventually led to Oklahoma City bombing, and that piece was Timothy McVeigh. Yeah, Timothy. He was deeply... Um, troubled. Troubled <laughs> by the fact of what happened at Ruby Ridge. Mm-hmm. He went to the Waco uh, protests... Mm-hmm. And was selling bumper stickers, and that whole thing led to why he supposedly decided to do the Oklahoma City bombing, Correct. which we'll talk about in the next episode. So today, let's yeah, focus yeah. on the Waco siege and yeah. your cult, the Branch Davidians. Yeah, uh, it, it's named after me. Uh, um, it's actually called at one point the Block Davidians. Yeah, we had to change the Davidians um, because uh, other people of the Block family did not appreciate me starting the Davidians. Right. So they said, "So it is Branch." It branch off the tree, you know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah, because you're um, you're a branch off your dad. And, and I, it was at one point named the chip off the old block Davidians, right? And they didn't like the chip off, so I called it the branch. Yeah. So yeah, um, that makes sense. Yeah, and I was kind of trying to give the team, like the family, an olive branch, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so now it's just straight up the David Davidians. Uh, we still are very prevalent in today's society. Um, we don't we don't operate out of Waco anymore. We're actually out of the uh, Love Spark and area. <laughs> <laughs> we really should get serious. All right. So the okay, the Branch Davidians, a religious group, originated in 1955 mm-hmm. from a jism. I mean schism of the Davidian Seventh Day Advent- Adventists, a reform movement that began as an offshoot from the Seventh Day Adventist Church uh, yeah. around 1930. So what happened was this religious group cult, whatever you want to call them, started. And eventually, David Koresh came along. Uh, does it what, what does it say? What year he he joined at some point? But because he was so good at like swaying and t- 
talking and all that, mm-hmm. he kind of became their leader. Like, he kind of, like, well, forced his he, way in, right? He actually, um, he went on a trip. I want to say he went uh-huh. to either Jerusalem or Israel and really um, f- sought out. His name's not even David Koresh. He re- legally changed his name to David Koresh, which is um, the Koresh being a, I got, where's, does it say where he gets his name? Because I, I don't want to fuck that up. Here, let me do a separate search. But both David being of biblical sense and Koresh being of another religion. Yeah, his name was... Um, David Howell? No, it was something else. Koresh after the Persian king. Okay. That's where that came from. David Koresh. Oh, Dave Block. Oh, got it. Vernon, that's right. Vernon Wayne, yep. Yeah, his name wasn't Dave. It was Vernon, Vernon Wayne Howell. Yep. Um, the American... Okay, it, it, just real quick. So, uh, how old were you when the Waco thing went down? Went down in 93, so I was 15. All right, so I would have been 10. Yeah. What? I, and it's weird because, you know, I wasn't big into the news at 10 years old, what fucking 10-year-old is. Mm-hmm. I just remember hearing about it and how this guy was like the leader of a cult, but... What I remember, and you tell me what you remember just from being 15 and hearing about it, was that this guy was the leader of this weird cult in Waco, Texas, and his followers thought he was the second coming of Christ. They thought he was Jesus, or whatever, going by the name David Koresh. Mm-hmm. That's my memory of it. So I always thought, growing like in this time, I didn't understand all the other stuff. I thought, this guy's a fucking... like. He's like the Antichrist, basically, because mm. anybody that... You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And because the religion I was raised in, at the time I would have been going to this religious school, mm-hmm. they were really push... Like, they... they so you're really against any kind of cult. It's Everything other than what you are is yeah, a cult. It is a cult, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. a real kind of brainwashed way of yeah. whatever. Yeah, I remember when I... I remember hearing about it, um, I I thought Waco was actually like a, a mental facility because I retur- referred to it as Waco. So uh, so yeah. I always thought like he was it was like a prison like a, a sane asylum is oh, what okay. I thought it was, and he led this uprising of all these inmates. That's what I thought it was, and that's why the cops went and took and, and burned the place down. That's how I remember it. Isn't it weird um, how we perceived it? Yeah. Differently, but yet this, oh, obviously everybody knew he was the leader yeah. or whatever mm-hmm. of this movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what I, what I, I've watched a lot of different Waco things because I was really fascinated when we first started talking about, I don't even, I think I brought it up, yeah. the, how Timothy McVeigh brought into it because I think I watched an Oklahoma City bombing thing that really tied into this. Yeah, it was a Netflix started this whole thing. thing. Yeah. They had a new and, thing. A yeah, a new yeah. Oklahoma City bombing thing. And so I was really fascinated with the David Koresh thing. And so I watched a lot of it, and yeah, the fact that he went to either Jerusalem, Israel, or some religious place, um, and and found and found uh, found a, a deeper sense of the religion that they believed in, and that's why he changed his name to David Koresh, David being the King David, and Koresh being the uh, other king that you just named. Um, I can't remember what he said. What you said? Persian king. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, he believed in the the second coming of Christ and that he found basically he found all these different sayings in the Bible um, about how the military was going to 
you know, fall and the military was going to take and kill his people. And he really firmly believed that God was talking to him. Uh-huh. And he, he prophesied that. So he, he never thought that he was the second coming of Christ. He didn't ever portray that. He just felt like he was one of the seven, like another apostle. Uh-huh. Um, I know there's like, there's the seven Adventist. I don't know what they stand for, but there's like seven different things. But he believed he was one of the ones that were going to basically prophesy to his people. And so he prepared them all for this big war, uh, between the military and, and their people to kill everybody. Um, and he believed that's what was going to happen. Uh-huh. Um, and it's just, it's fascinating that people really, like from all over the world, came and, and lived there on their on their combine um compound compound combine whatever compound um yeah there's people all over the world there's like people from africa that moved out there england um there's a bunch of different places that people came from but the whole thing was way fucked up from the get-go you know um they weren't bothering nobody yeah they were fucking weird and they had a lot of guns but they were it reminds me of the movie red state that kevin smith uh-huh. did you know, um, they stockpiled a lot of guns just so they could protect themselves. Not like they were going to start a war, right? But they were going to protect themselves, like their whole com- compound. Well, what was the, the whole reason they were starting to become investigated? Was the fact? What was it? Was it the accusations of uh, him? Well, they eventually found out that basically all these kids that were in there, well, a good portion of them where he was the dad well that came later no that came he, later but wasn't he, there accusations earlier on that there was something weird like that sexual going no, on no he first started he first popped on that radar because he was a gun enthusiast and he would travel the world and go to different gun shows and he would start buying and becoming a, an arms okay, dealer so he got on a list because he yeah was he was guns. on a list because okay. he was buying guns and um what at the time believed to be illegal guns ak-47s okay. grenades um, he was buying up all this stuff because he knew there was money in it. You know, he wasn't doing it because he was going to stockpile, start a war. He was doing it because he knew it was money. He was trying to provide more money to well, build nice, his compound. He had collectible cars. He had a lot of cars. Thing yeah. You never hear about. Yeah. But they actually, at one point, destroyed these cars yeah, they took his trying tank. to force him to come out. Correct, yeah. All that's going to do is piss this guy off. Yeah. Why would you do that? Once again, we're talking um, about excessive force. Yeah, yeah, and, the, and, and there was so much lying, you know, and I remember there was, a, there was an in, interrogator, or not interrogator, there was a, a press release with the uh, FBI, a press conference, the head of the FBI at the time, and I don't remember if it was one of the ones we watched with what we let, let the listeners listen to or not, but the FBI was asked point blank about psychological warfare and he's like oh i don't know what that is so she explained to him well there's rumors you know there's talks uh, and there's alleged allegations that you would shine the lights on in the compound at night all throughout the night you would play one nancy sinatra song all night long you would play slaughtering sounds of rabbits and he said no we would never do that and it's an ongoing you know investigation ongoing case we can't comment further but that's something you know what you're talking about we would not do yeah, he's basically but, saying something that they did, but he doesn't know anything about it. Yeah, but yet, in every video that I've ever seen on Waco, shows in the the video of it, and it has very loud Nancy Sinatra singing, these boots are made for walking, in almost every video that I've watched. Yeah. You know? It's, it's um, clearly there, but yeah, he's denying it. Yeah, he's Which he's is complete bullshit. Yeah. Here, I just want to... 
play the song for the for the for the listeners. Well, just so everybody, in case you're like, oh, I don't know Nancy Sinatra, I just know Frank Sinatra. All right, but this wasn't like during the day at two in the afternoon. This was in the middle of the night, super loud, on repeat. You keep saying you got something for me, something you call love, but confess. So is that his daughter or wife or who is that? Nancy, I think it was his wife. Okay, all right. at one point. They had divorced though. I don't know. That's not a bad song, but no, forty times in a row, as loud as it could possibly be. And it's funny that it's that song they chose because they wanted him to walk out. Yeah, <laughs> and that's a it's subliminal message. And and I would play some of the other things that they played, but I don't think anybody wants to hear fucking rabbits being, being slaughtered. slaughtered. Like yeah. it's not. It's can not you just pretty. imagine what yeah, that would pretty. sound like? But so I mean, they they were fucking with this guy and. In in one of the interviews with another FBI agent or ATF, I can't remember which, which which branch he was in, but he was saying that they were doing those things because they were hoping that it would p- appeal to the woman, the motherly instincts, so that they would send the kids out and they would send more people out. Um, but in fact, all it did was enrage them more and drive them more and more insane and piss them off. Uh, and, and you alluded to earlier how they drove tanks over his favorite cars. They would move his cars right and in front of the well, compound. Keep in mind, this was a 51-day uh, standoff. Yeah. So it's not like they did this on day one. They did drive over the cars, but it was probably, we're talking like day 40 30 or, or 40 shit. days yeah, in, yeah, you know. Yeah, um, But I can find it here. They, they tried to negotiate, and they wouldn't. And then finally they, uh, I believe... Was it the Larry David show? What's the guy's name that they actually went on the air? Oh, uh, wasn't Larry David? Wal- a- Walter Conkright, one of those no, old school the, dudes. Uh, Phil Donahue, wasn't it? Phil Donahue. No, it was a radio dude that called in and, and had him on the radio live. Oh, I don't remember who it was, but it was an old old timey dude. Um, but they he he talked to him. That was the first time they actually heard from David Crash since the whole thing had started. Um, right there. Talks for about 20 minutes on KRLD. Yeah, but who was he with, though? It was an actual dude. I'll look it up here. It's like uh, 19 tabs of it. KRLD. It's going to bug me because I know which one it is. Once you say it, I'll know the name. Interview. <laughs> no, <that> Rachel Weaver. <laughs> uh, Hillary Clinton is who we talked to. <laughs> Why does it not have the guy who was on with him? The fuck? Oh, Christ. God damn it. I need a David right. Rankin? No. This morning, that's KLUV. Mike Rogers? I gotta got start writing this shit down. Barbara Schwartz? David Correa? Oh, wait, hold on. Scroll, wait, wait. Oh no, that wasn't. It. I just, I just saw it, but no. Well, it's not pertinent. It's not, but it was some normal radio guy. He convinced him to at least start talking negotiations and shit. And during negotiations, they lied, but it was nitpicking shit. Like mm-hmm. one of the times that the the siege started when when guns started and people started dying and getting shot and shit. Um, people were shooting from the helicopters. And the negotiator was like, 
we didn't shoot. You know, there were no guns on the machine. There were no machine guns on the helicopters. And David Crash is like, no, what? Mike Rogers. That's their, what they're saying. Chris Hogan, Dave Ramsey. Maybe it was Dave Ramsey, I think. And, that, and Mike all, Rogers. Mike yeah. was one of the care, all these primary reporters at Branch Division stand up in 93. He was on the scene near Waco. They began the day it ended most of the... And there was a Google radio host, Dave Ramsey, featuring special guest Chris Hogan. So those basically those three guys. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It, it, whoever it was, it, it seemed more predominant, but it doesn't matter. Right, Walter um, that's what I, I want to say it was, one of those Larry King-type things, yeah. you know. But, oh, it was Larry King. We'll just go with that. <laughs> yeah, Donald King. So <laughs> Donald Trump. <laughs> uh, Pee Wee Herman. So anyways, Paul Rubens was on the... On the helicopter. No, the, the the negotiator was like, there were no machine guns. And David Crush says, you're a goddamn liar. Like, you, they, were shoot, you know, they were shooting, they shot and killed our people from the helicopter. And he's like, well, uh, there were there were no guns mounted on the helicopter. Uh, that's all I'm trying to say. And he's like, well, that's not what yeah, I'm talking it's about. It's not about mounting. It's yeah. about you had people you had, in the yeah, helicopter. Yeah, that's what I'm trying shooting. to say is you killed our people from the helicopter. Nope, 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 never happened. You know, like, yeah. shooting it down. Then he's like, okay, wait, let's, let's just agree to disagree. But there were no mounted guns. Yes. The guys on the machine uh, on the helicopter had guns. What kind of guns? Well, I can't agree say. to that it was no mounted. Yeah, but I can't. I, I can't specify whether or not there were guns on the. Okay, but you're a fucking horrible negotiator. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay, but here's the other thing. During this whole thing, so you had negotiators m- move. Who are the ones talking to him? Okay, they're not. Nobody else has contact with anybody inside besides these three. Main right, negotiators, right. Uh, Larry Curley and Mo. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Huey Dewey and Louie. Yeah, Snap Crackle and Pop. Yeah, those three guys. Three guys are basically the main negotiators. So they're moving to, and their whole goal is to negotiate to get people out and eventually get everybody out A peaceful safely surrender. Yep. and be done with it. Mm-hmm. So as they were m- moving towards whatever, you have the machismo of the FBI, the uh, this other portion, the, the fucking, oh, the guys are going and shoot shit and we do all this because the negotiators mm-hmm. aren't shooting, they're negotiating, they're talkers. They try to, you know... Peaceful conflict resolution. What's well, like, uh, like I, I'm trying to relate to you and I want you to relate to me mm-hmm. so that we can understand each other. And then through that, you know, it's basically what a negotiator would do. Trying to talk them down. Right. Whatever. Talk right. them out. Mm-hmm. And then the machismo half of the FBI, fuck that, we're going over to fucking kill You know, it's, it's that whole fucking mindset yeah. of... Shoot first, ask questions later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as the negotiators were making progress with negotiating to get more people out or whatever, to get David to release more kids or release more women or whatever, mm-hmm. then the machismo half's over here driving over his fucking car with a, a thing. like literally, And then that's just pissing him off. Then. Yeah. So like it, it sets back all the negotiations. It's like negotiators were so fucking frustrated because it's literally two factions within the FBI, mm-hmm. and as one would make progress, the other one would fuck it up. Yeah. And then gate all the progress, and then they'd have to start all over. And just as they were getting to the point of trust again, then the other side would fuck it up. So Mm -hmm. the FBI fucked this up Mm -hmm. themselves. Uh, Well, and and think about too, like the 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 military and the ATF and the FBI guys that were there on the scene in the tanks, in the sniper rifles, in the guns, whatever. They were acting as if they were in in a war zone. Yeah, you know, because I've seen like you've seen how 
back in the day they drew like fuck you Saddam and all that on uh-huh. on the bombs and shit and they would you would see the pictures of them flicking off people and mooning the other side. Yeah. They were doing that at the Waco compound. There's there's pictures of them mooning and flicking off the people inside. No. That's juvenile and fucked up. And you don't do that on your own soil yeah. to your own people. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I could see that doing to a bunch of fucking people in, in Israel and in Iran and all the, the Kuwaiti and all that fucked up shit that we're in, bombing and wars and shit. But, yeah, just to do that to our own people is fucked up, man. But see, they, they, they looked at them as though they were fucking terrorists. Yeah, like this picture here. Obviously bad for the listeners, but you have a fucking tank. It looks, if you didn't know any better, you would think that was in, like, yeah. Iraq. Yeah, yeah. Kabul or something. Or something. Yeah. Kuwait. Kabul. Um, okay, so, let's, uh, move. I was trying to see, if, like, yeah, some of the pictures you were, like, mentioning. I was trying to see if there any. I saw them in the video, but yeah. I don't know if they're. On YouTube or on googly, googly goo. Um, but it it was a bad, bad, bad ordeal, man. Like it. All right, so let's blew up way f- too fast. Like it escalated quickly, man. <laughs> I mean, I know it took fifty some days, fifty one days, and it but was towards the end. It was like super quick, man. So the chronology of events on February twenty eighth. I'm not sure what what day did it start on. Do we know? I, I heard it. Yeah, very handful of times. Scroll up to the very top. It must have been on the twenty. Well, that wasn't the way. That was the actual rating, though. Yeah, February twentieth was day one. Yep. April nineteenth yeah. was the last day. All right, so let's. I'm gonna go back down to that. The, read the chronology of events from that day. So at five. In the morning. In the morning. 76 agents assemble at Fort Hood for the drive to the staging area at the Bellmead Civic Center. According to a later Treasury Department review, the agents drove in an 80-vehicle convoy that stretched for a mile with a cattle trailer at either end. Okay. 9.45 a.m., ATF agents move in on the compound. A gun battle begins. 9.48, Branch Davidian Wayne Martin, a Waco attorney, calls 911. At 11.30... Ceasefire is reached. So about two hours of gunfire, yeah. dude. Can you imagine that? Uh, at uh, 1600, which would be what? Four o'clock. Four o'clock. Uh, the first message from Koresh is relayed over KRLD radio in Dallas. This is part of the negotiations. Mm-hmm. At 455, Michael Schroeder is shot dead returning to the compound. Why? At uh, what? Seven? Five minutes later? No, five oh, o'clock. Five, sorry. <laughs> 1,700. Yeah, five just, just subtract 12, bro. Yeah. <laughs> um, ATF spokesman Ted Royster says gunfire has continued sporadically throughout the afternoon. Um, it's 7.30 p.m. I'll give yeah, you the time. So. N- now we're at 7.30. Uh, David Koresh is interviewed by CNN. The FBI instructs CNN not to conduct further interviews. 8.15 p.m. ATF spokesperson Sharon Wheeler says negotiations continue with Branch Davidians and gunfire has ended. 10 o'clock p.m. By now, four <laughs> children have exited, two Sonobie children, two Fagan children. These are the last names of people that were in there. Uh, 10.05. Koresh uh, talks for about 20 minutes on KRLD, describing his beliefs and saying he is the most seriously wounded of the Branch Davidians. So he got wounded that day. Yeah, he got shot, I think, twice that first day. Yeah, which is crazy. I mean... Okay, so uh, we'll kind of skip over that, unless you want to talk about 
I mean, we kind of talked about. So they they did all these tactics to try and get him out. This is where the whole negotiating, the mm-hmm. running over the car, the fucking mind fucks that they were doing with the music and all this shit. All right, let's go to the chronology of events on the final day, yeah. April nineteenth, five fifty a.m. Agents call Branch Davidian Compound to warn they are going to begin tank activity and advise residents to take cover. Agents say the Branch Davidian who answered the phone did not reply, but instead threw the phone and phone line out of the front door. Yeah, and not only that, but I believe they had an inside man also, and he somehow found out that they were warned ahead of time that they were going to siege them that day. Like, they knew. So that's why they called to let them know, hey, now, because basically the jig was up. They were going to go on there as a surprise. The element of surprise was gone, so that's why that early in the morning they called them. Somebody within the branch division. Yeah, he was an FBI informant. He was out. Yep. Yeah, and had heard, like... Because they were staging or something ready for... And then mm-hmm. there was... Yeah, it was... Somebody told them inside that, hey, they're coming for you today. Yep. Today's the yeah, day. They knew. Yep. Uh, so five minutes later, 555, FBI hostage rescue team deploys two armored CEVs to the buildings. CEV-1 goes to the left of the building, CEV-2 to the right. 6 a.m., FBI surveillance tapes from devices planted in the wall of the building record a man inside the compound saying, everybody wake up. Let's start to pray. Then, quote, Pablo, have you poured it yet? Huh? Have you poured it yet? In the hallway. Things are poured, right? CEV1 receives orders to spray two bottles of tear gas into left corner of building. All right, so the audio of that, and they, they play it in all these yep. documentary things that we've watched. Mm-hmm. It's it's unclear. And, and this is interesting, they too. The they fuel had, at one point. They too. had, like, attached recording devices, a different places on the outside of the house near windows and shit mm-hmm. to try and hear inside what's going on. How'd they get close enough to do that and the branch division's inside not knowing I, I believe that was all part of the first day when there was a lot of fire and whatnot. They did it during that time under the cover of fire. They just okay. planted all these devices. I could be wrong. Yeah. It could be at other points, but from what, I, what I've seen, I believe that's when they did it. This was a big complex, too. Yeah, it was huge. It's fucking gigantic. Um, I mean, it's gone now. Yeah. Burned to fucking ground, but... That's one thing I wanted to do when I was in Texas that I never, Bernard, never made. Bernard, well, we had, I talked about to my brother, and I was like, we should go to Waco and see what where it was. But it was like two hours away, and it was nothing. It wasn't even on the way to where we wanted to go. and So, sometime I want to go down there and see it. Yeah. Not I, that there's I, anything left. Yeah, but just to be... Just to see. Just to see it. Yeah, I mean, just like I went to, you know, when JFK was shot, right. and everything's still there, but, yeah. you know, his car's got gone, his body's not there anymore. Right. But, yeah. The fourth gunman's still there, though. Yeah, yeah. All right, 6.04 a.m., armored vehicle with ram and delivery device to pump tear gas into building with pressurized air rips into front wall just left of front door, leaving a hole 8 feet high and 10 feet wide. Uh, agents claim the holes not only allowed insertion of the gas, but also provided a means of escape. Agents seize shots from inside the compound directed at CEVs. Well, yeah, if you were inside and there's a fucking tank, I would start shooting at it, too. Uh, Which is kind of a stupid thing. Like, what's a bullet going to do a tank? Yeah, not but a damn still. Thing. I mean, yeah. uh, so there is a lot of question, uh, going back a second before we go to mm-hmm. 6, 10 a.m. That whole, have you poured it yet? In the hallway, things are poured, right? All that nonsense the fbi says that's them that's the people inside the branch davidians 
pouring gasoline fuel in fuel, fuel, all, fuel all these places with the intentions to light themselves light their compound on fire mm-hmm. the FBI says you know th- their whole goal wasn't to explode this thing or set it on fire mm-hmm. their whole goal was to put tear gas into this place which would force them out correct now what's interesting is the branch divisions had gas masks a lot of them did mm-hmm. not all of them but they had gas masks inside why would you have gas masks well, inside? When, when they were preparing for this ultimate war, they they uh, assumed there was going to be tear gas, cyanide, or some type of poison gas. So they geared up and they had gas masks. They had foods and rations. They well, they, they were like they, they were, were like ready. doomsday preppers, dude. Yeah. Like they had all Before that stuff. It, yeah. yeah, because they believed that's what was going to happen. It is pretty According crazy. To the Bible passages he was reading right. in his sermons and preaches that he gave. He said, end of days was coming, it was near, and we needed to be ready for when this happens. They were ready for an all-out war. Yeah. Which is crazy. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess put yourself in the FBI's shoes, it's, you don't know what's in there, what right. all they have. Right. You have to assume the you, worst. You can allegedly, you know, you can you can kind of guesstimate what all he bought from all the different gun shows and stuff that he went at. And they can trace all his credit card transactions and shit like that, things that he searched at on the, the bolt, worldwide bolt and bolt systems back in the day, um, because the internet wasn't really quite as huge then. They were, yeah. they had bolt and bolt systems. Um, so they could still track shit like that. Yeah. Um, You're so now at 610 a.m., FBI surveillance tapes record, don't pour it all out. We might need some later and throw the tear gas back out. FBI negotiator Byron Sage is recorded saying, it's time for people to come out. Surveillance tapes record a man saying, what? And then, no way. Okay, now, now what are your thoughts? Do you believe the tapes are actually the Davidians pouring fuel, or do you believe it's the FBI agents? What do you think? Your own personal opinion. The Have videos you about don't that? show anybody up there pouring. Mm-hmm. The videos only show the tanks ramming the building. So I don't know how from... But here's the thing. They use the tanks to throw the tear gas in, right? Shoot the tear gas in, yeah. They were, they were using the, the nozzle of the, the tank, tank to that would shoot get the, the grenades and missiles and to shit. To get yeah. the tear gas in. Mm-hmm. But... I don't know. See, this is where it gets iffy. It, I, for, I don't like to think that the Branch Davidians would set their own compound on fire, mm-hmm. knowing ultimately you're committing suicide. But but then again, David Crush was just crazy. He, enough. he had them yeah. under his control enough that they were completely in agreement with whatever he said we were mm-hmm. going to do next. Now the other thing is, because you have the whole machismo part of the FBI, it does not help the case for me to believe that they wouldn't go as far as is some some of these are tear gas, some of these are just fuel-based mm-hmm. things. So once they drop, it starts to spread fuel. Well, and, and then it wouldn't be hard to ignite something like that either. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, see, I have, I'm torn. Like, some of me believes that it's the FBI, and some of me believes it's the Dravidians. You know, yeah. I, I don't really know. I'm not sure. I'm, the well, jury's still out in my Yeah, head. it makes it, and that's the thing, if if the part of the FBI wasn't, if they hadn't used so much excessive force on other shit, but because they did that 
you can't put it past them to do this, even though they they can deny it. Mm. But you've done all this other shit, so logic would tell me you're probably behind that too. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's not completely unreasonable for the divisions to set themselves on fire. Right. And the other thing, the only reason why I also attribute to the FBI putting the fuel down is where they strategically put the holes in the building for where the way the wind was blowing, the miles right, right. per hour, yeah. which we kind of talked about off the air, and we'll get to more later, but we're kind of at that point now, too. But, yeah, they strategically put it in a, the I think this, the United States Fire Marshal Inspector, like the top fire marshal guy for the whole entire United States investigator said they call that a potbelly stove burning environment when they do controlled fire testing and puts it out they purposely do that to show them what would happen if they these places so it was so intended with the the uh the way that they say it's it's for the escape they wanted as many escape routes as possible bigger opening for them to run out from the tear gas that's a lie that's i think it could be very much a lie. i think that's a lie because ultimately i so the FBI says it. And this is what kind of implicates that the FBI was behind the fire portion of it, too, because the holes that they put where they put, if you have wind blowing in a certain direction through that hole, but there's a fire there, it's going to blow that fire further into the place. And then with the hole on the other side, how it, it's a it's basically a tunnel effect, mm-hmm. which it causes everything to just... Whoosh, yeah, ignite. And, like and then the whole thing would be like that. You wouldn't do that. I mean, unless they're complete morons, mm-hmm. and you can't tell me they didn't take into consideration the wind that day, because the wind was moving at what twenty, thirty I think miles it was like an hour, forty-five miles in the an direction. Hour or so it would have gone just that way. You know, if you would have done it the other direction, mm-hmm. the wind moving, you know, Say if it's going east west, to west, and yeah. you go north south with your holes mm-hmm. to give escape routes, you wouldn't have had as big of an issue. Right, but you did it. it east to west or whatever it was mm-hmm. you did it in the way so the wind was blowing where the fire was started and then moved it yeah, and moved just, it throughout the you house you know what i mean yeah. it's it, it also kind of makes it suspicious right and then and then there was two in the i think it was if either the committee or the commission when they were doing the, the investigations and deliberating and all that um one fbi agent said that the the cx gas or cs gas or whatever they used was not flammable in the way that they they mm-hmm did it but then every other person they talked to about that cs gas said no it is in a confined environment it is very volatile it is very flammable and it could ignite and when they and they even said when you actually disperse the gas from the tank there is going to be a moment of ignition to get it out just like a gun you know just like the gunpowder part of it there is that spark fuel could it could yeah it could light it up at any moment and there are videotapes that show gunfire from the back of the tank at the moment of the gas being, you know, set off. That, like any other gun movie where they have gas on the ground and they shoot it with their gun and it, it ignites. Yeah. It could be that. I don't know if that actually works or not, but right. that could be part of it as well. That's they could be shooting it. at it. You know what I mean? They could be yeah. shooting at it to ignite it, to let it go. Um, and I think, I think, in my own personal opinion, I truly think... If, if I'm going with that route, that the FBI had every intention of burning the place down with the hopes of them getting out quick enough, or they are going to kill them all. Like I think they. Oh, that's a good segue. Okay. Six twelve a.m. <laughs> FBI surveillance tapes record Branch Davidian saying they're going to kill us and they don't want to kill us. 
6.31 a.m., the entire building is gassed. 6.47 a.m., FBI fires plastic, non-incendiary tear gas rounds through windows. Okay? Mm-hmm. 7.23 a.m., FBI surveillance states record a male branch video and say, saying, the field has to go all around to get started. Then, a second male says, well, there are two cans here if that's poured soon. 7.30 a.m., CEV-1 is redeployed, breaching the building and inserting tear gas. Branch divisions fire shots at CEV-1. 7.48 a.m., on FBI tapes of agents recorded during the siege, FBI agent requests permission to fire military-style tear gas shells to break through underground concrete bunker. Gets permission, fires two shells. 7.58 a.m., CEV-2 with battering ram rips hole into second floor of compound and then minutes later... Another hole is punched into the backside of one of the buildings of the compound. The vehicles then withdraw. 8.08 a.m. Three pyrotechnic military tear gas rounds are shot at the concrete construction pit, not the concrete bunker, away and downward from the main quarters trying to penetrate the structure, but they bounce off. Agent in CEV reports that one shell bounced off bunker did not penetrate. 8.24 a.m. Audio portion of FBI videotape ends at request of pilot. So why would they turn the audio portion of it off? Yeah. Um, at 9 a.m., the Branch Davidians unfurl a banner which reads, We want our phone fixed. Uh, 9.13 a.m., CEV-1 breaks through front door to deliver more gas. 9.20 a.m., FBI surveillance surveillance rec- records a meeting starting at 7.30 a.m. between several unidentified males. Uh so, unidentified, un- unidentified male. Yeah. Here, so basically, this is what they what was said. They got two cans of Coleman fuel down there, huh? Empty. All of it. Nothing left. Uh, 10 a.m. A man is seen waving a white flag on the southwest side of the compound. He is advised over loudspeakers that if he is surrendering, surrendering, he should come out. He does not. At the same time, a man believed to be Schneider comes out from the remains of the front door to retrieve the phone and phone line. Uh, 11.30 a.m., so an hour and a half after this. Original CEV-2 has mechanical difficulties. Replacement breaches through backside of compound. So let's let's talk about that for a moment. In the parentheses you didn't read, it's a damaged thread, or damaged tread. Tread, yeah. Um, in part of the testimonies, um, one of the guys, I don't remember what the person's name was, um, but he was badly severely burned and badly damaged his body was missing parts of his body um they believe and they have pictures of it in the video that we watched if you watch the netflix movie oklahoma city um you'll see what i'm talking about but they they zoom in and they pause it just right where they believe that the part of what caused the tread to come off of the cev1 is the guy's body. They believe that his body got lodged in there and it damaged the tread. Now, I don't know enough about military-grade vehicles, but I can't believe that a body would would disengage the entire tread, like break the tread like that. Like, how shitty the tread are we... Are we does this shit get made Well, that's crazy, Japan? though, too. Yeah, but it's crazy to think that they rant, and they're saying, they even have testimony from many, many FBI and ATF guys saying, no, no people were killed, and nobody was injured when we rammed our, our buildings, and we, we used infrared, we knew nobody was in those buildings, in those rooms when we blew holes in them and, and ran through them. That's total bullshit, because yeah. there were lots of bodies and They didn't everywhere. know how many people were still in there. Yeah, they had no idea. Because when, after everything, well, we're jumping way ahead now, yeah. after everything was burnt down, everything, they could go in there. They didn't realize 
just how many people were actually still left in there. And there had mm-hmm. been a handful of people that were released, too. Mm-hmm. So that, you know... And, and now we're saying that we were released. No, they weren't held well, hostage. Yeah. They they weren't, you know, they weren't at gunpoint. voluntarily. They, they, they stayed voluntarily with David. Mm-hmm. They didn't, you know, and some of the ones that did leave, they did leave under their own free will. Yeah. Everyone could have left at any moment. They chose to stay. Right. So I want to get that, that yeah. on the record. All right. So uh, between 11.17 and 12.04... According to the, good. I was going to say according to the official story. <laughs> yeah, according to the government, a series of remarks such as "I want a fire," "Keep that fire going," and "Do you think I could light this soon?" indicate that the Branch Davidians have started setting fire to the complex around 11:30. Surviving Branch Davidians testify that Coleman Field had been poured, and fire experts in Danforth's report agree, without question, that people inside the complex had started multiple accelerated fires. Okay, so they're basically saying, FBI says, the government says, the Branch Davidians did their, set their own fires. Surviving Branch Davidians testified that they had poured Coleman fuel and started started too. A bunch of fires all throughout so, the compound. It's interesting that you have both sides in agreement there. So mm-hmm. is there a question or are they being pushed to tell a narrative we don't know we don't know because are those surviving branch davidians under undercover agents that were in there that infiltrated the system you know what i mean you never know right uh 11 a.m another gas insertion takes place with the armored vehicle moving well into the building on the right rear side to reach the concrete interior room where the fbi believe branch davidians are trying to avoid the gas 11:45 a.m wall on right rear collapses 12:03 p.m uh, armored vehicle turret knocks away first floor corner on right side. 1207, first visible flames appear in two spots in the front of the building. First on the left of the front door on the second floor. A wisp of smoke, uh, then a small flicker of flame. Then a short time later on the far right side of the front of the building and at a third spot on the back side. An FBI agent reported seeing a Branch Davidian member igniting a fire in the front door area. Hmm. 12.09 a.m. or p.m. Ruth Riddle exits with computer disc in her jacket containing Koresh's manuscript on the seven seals. Third That's what I was talking about earlier, the seven something or other yeah, yeah. seven seals. Yeah, yeah. Uh, third fire detected on the first floor. 12.10 p.m., flames spread quickly through entire building. Fanned by high winds, the building burns very quickly. 12.12, uh, emergency call placed for Waco Fire Department. Two Waco uh, Fire Department trucks are dispatched shortly after... Bellmead Fire Department dispatches two trucks. 12.22, Waco fire trucks arrive at checkpoint where they are halted. Bellmead follows shortly after. You know, that's another fucked up thing, too. The the cops talk about why they didn't let the firemen get to the house. They're claiming because they didn't know how many people were there still armed. They didn't want them to be gunned down, is what they're claiming. So they let it burn. Which is, I mean, in a situation like this, Part of me kind of understands it, but the other part of me, do you really believe, I mean, I guess you don't know, but I have a hard time believing that if there's a fire and the fire department showed up to put it out, do you think they would shoot them? I, I, I wouldn't mean, think so because the firemen are not going to be armed. You know what I mean? Like, I don't believe they're going to fire at the guys. I, I think if they're if the cops are there, they're going to fire at the cops. But I don't think they would fire at the co- the, uh, the firemen. Right. I don't personally. Now, think. do you think they were assessing the audio that they were hearing 
of the branch division and say, let's start this fire. As if they're starting the fire, and then they send in people to put out the fire, would they then shoot them because they don't want the fire put out? Maybe. You know, I I, I guess in that thing, you have to make the best decision you can at the time. Mm -hmm. I don't know, it's just weird. All right, where were we, 1225? Yeah. Uh, There is a large explosion on the left side of the compound. One object hurtles into the air, bounces off the top of the white bus, and lands on the grass. Why don't they say what that is? I'm curious what that is now. Just an object. Probably a piece of metal. Probably a body. Um, It's a body. (laughs) I think it was a refrigerator. Oh. I don't know. 12.30, part of the roof collapses. Around this time, there are several further explosions, and witnesses report the sound of gunfire. Attributed by the FBI to live ammunition cooking off through the building because of fire. I kind of buy that. I don't think at that point you're really fucking shooting at anybody. It's probably fires reached ammunition and mm-hmm. it's it's yeah. like fireworks yeah mm-hmm. you know uh 1243 according to fire department logs fire trucks arrive at compound so they originally got to the checkpoint at 1222 basically 20 minutes later they arrive at the compound uh 1255 the fire begins to burn out that's how quick this thing went went under the entire compound is leveled at 1255 so what time did it start that's what I was going back on. So the first flames appear in two spots at, at 12.07. So not even 48. It's 48 minutes. Yeah. That's how quick this place went. And it was a huge level. fucking building, dude. dude. It, was a com- it was a compound. It was like a prison. It was as big as a prison, dude. Uh, at what time, Dave? 12.55. No, the 15. Oh, 3.45 p.m. Uh, law enforcement <laughs> sources say David Crash is dead. Um, now... 76 people died in that thing. Uh, they didn't... You now, see, in the thing we played before this, that one guy uh, came out mm-hmm. during the fire. He, he escaped or whatever, and he's still alive today. Uh, but the most everybody that was in there was dead. Yeah. It's, and look at... Like I said, there's American, there's British, there's Israeli, there's Canadian... Um, more Australian. Australian, yeah. Filipino. Australian again. American, American. New, New Zealander. Zealander. Yeah, see, there's a, a couple of New Zealanders. A lot of different Of all ages, too. Look how many kids. Yeah. Uh, so there's a one-year-old. A uh, two-year-old. Um, six, six, three. Year old, another another year old, one. 15, one. A three, yeah. a four. A six. Two. I already said that one. Four, two. There's oh. a lot of... Look at the... the the ones in the S's, there's a bunch of ones there too. A bunch yeah. of ones, a twos, fours, twos. I think, well, who's the oldest? All right, so I see 76. Her. Raymond Friesen, Canadian. That's the oldest. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, and every age in between. Yeah. So the youngest was one, the oldest was 76, and yeah. every age in between. A lot of like 40s, a lot of 20s. David Koresh was 33. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Well, even the 24-year-old girl, they, they put down that she was pregnant, Nicole Gent Little. Pregnant. Which one was that? Nicole Gent. Oh, yeah. And then there was another pregnant one, Aisha. She was 17. Nicole Gent? No, she was 24. No. The one year one, Alicia, or Aisha, Aisha Summers was 17. She was pregnant, yeah. So there was two pregnant ladies that died. Yeah. According to the... And... So how many of the crash, crash people died? So one, two... Three, four, five crushed it. Oh, David is one of them. So, yeah. Star, Rachel. Uh, Rachel, we found her. <laughs> Cyrus and Bobby Lane. Yeah. Were the Koreshes. 
but there's I, lots of allegedness there that a lot of the kids that were all the kids that weren't his mm. were released allegedly the ones that remained inside because supposedly david fathered 18 something fucking yeah, kids now yeah. count all the young ages from like six okay, and under yeah, one two you want to count eight yeah three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen fifteen sixteen I see 16. 16. Count the two pregnant. 17 and 18. 17 and 18, yeah. 18 kids were his. Two of them hadn't been born yet. So 16 babies. Supposedly these are all his. So going from the 8-year-old down to the ones that were pregnant. That's how many kids he had with yeah. random people. And and it's there's other things that say he was allowed to have up to 140 wives. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, was the guy nuts? But see, in the Mormon religion, it's weird like that. They can have multiple wives and things, too. Oh, here's something really weird. Check this out. All right, so let's go with the 18 kids theory. So look at the first child, Chanel Andrade. Mm-hmm. Well, the other ones with that last name is Jennifer and Catherine. So there's no no husband. That had to have been David Kresh's. Right. Look at the next kid, um, which would be Dalen Lord Gent, right? Where? And Pages Gent, under G's. Gent, yeah. Nicole Gent Little. Yeah, she was 24, but then you got Daylord and Paige Gent. So Daylord. she also doesn't have a, a male with the same last name. So those are so his, these, those are all three of those are his kids. Well, that's his kid. This was probably the mom of this kid. Yes, yeah, I'm saying. And same with yeah. Paige. Same with Paige. Oh, yeah. So I got that's that. what I'm trying to say. Yeah. yeah. So, so Paige and Daylord were his kids yep. from Nicole. Yep, so then scroll down. And she was about to have another. She must have been hot. He must have liked her. Now, here's the scary thing. Crystal Martinez, Isaiah Martinez were three and four. Now... Joseph was eight. Yeah. Now, you've got Juliet Martinez, which could have... I believe Juliet was the one that birthed Joseph, Isaiah, Crystal. And then there's probably previous... Audrey and Abigail were previous. I don't know if those were his, though. That, well, that's what I was trying to say. Well, I didn't see Juliet at first. I didn't see Juliet at first. I was really worried to say that maybe he was, like, Audrey was one of the parents. That really would have yeah. bothered me. And I, I but guess, then well, again, same thing. thing. No no male Martinez. Aisha Summers was 17 when she was pregnant, and so he was fucking somebody that was underage. Yeah. yeah. All right, so now and there's Melissa Morrison. Rosemary Morrison was the mom, 29. Melissa Morrison was six. Yep. His kid. Yep. The only one where I see a male and female, and the male had to was these Margarita Viega and Neil Viega, thirty-eight and forty-seven. But they don't have a fucking kid that, right. with that last name, but right. you see, like, there's there was one that had kids with him, where the husband was okay with it or had sex with him, and it had he could to have been, sex with them. It, it probably was the Summers one, Aisha Summers. Because there's a Gregory Summers that's 28. Yeah. I, I remember there was in the thing that uh, the they have the the lady saying that you know she had a husband, but the husband through the whatever yeah, religion yeah, the was cool with thing it, yeah. or the husband, that, that yeah. she was allowed to sleep with David Crush because it was God's will or something. Mm-hmm. It was kind of wacky. So you have uh, Judy and Steve Schneider had a daughter, or Mayana Schneider, or was that? David Crush's daughter, and Steve was cool with fucking Judy. 
Right. With David fucking Judy. That's another one. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't see that one. So, yeah. So, there's a couple of them that are iffy. But all the other ones don't have any males. In the, in Lorraine and Rachel Sylvia, one's 12, so and Lorraine's 40, and they had Hollywood Sylvia was one, probably David's. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you have Michelle Jones Thibodeau. I like Little One Jones. 18, yeah. You have Serenity Jones and Little One Jones, four and two. Probably the mother was Michelle. She was 18, which means that she had... So there's a 14-year-old fucking yeah. at that point. Yeah. If that's the mom. I mean, yeah. it's hard to trace for sure, but... Yeah, you would you would have to put two and two and get 19. Point is, that's a lot of people, a lot of different ages, a lot of kids burned up in this thing. It's sick. You know what I mean? Yeah. Regardless of who's fucking started the fire. Right. I, I, not, I don't want to praise David Koresh here because there's he was fucked up. Mm-hmm. Dude was fucked up in the mind. He, But at the same time, excessive force. Yeah. Now, I didn't know there was uh, Branch Davidians who received sentences. Well, that's what this we is, got here. So you have Kevin Whitecliffe. He's convicted of involu- or voluntary manslaughter and using a firearm during a crime. Jamie Castillo, convicted of voluntary manslaughter and using a firearm during crime. Paul Gordon Fata, uh, convicted of conspiracy to possess machine guns and aiding Branch Davidian leader David Crush in possessing machine guns. Renos Lenny Avram, a British, British national, guy. Mm-hmm. convicted of voluntary manslaughter and using a firearm during a crime. Graham Leonard Craddock, Australian national, convicted of possessing a grenade and using or possessing a firearm during a crime. Brad Eugene Branch, Convicted of voluntary manslaughter using a firearm during a crime. Livingston Fagan, British National, convicted of voluntary manslaughter using a firearm during a crime. Okay, blah, blah, blah. Ruth Riddle, Canadian National, convicted of using or carrying a weapon during a crime. Catherine Schroeder, must have been uh, Schroeder's wife, mm-hmm. uh, sentenced to three years after pleading guilty to a reduced charge of forcibly resisting arrest. Wow. Six of the eight Branch Davidians appealed both their sentences and their convictions. They raised a host of issues challenging the constitutionality of the prohibition of possession of machine guns, the jury instructions, the district court's conduct of the trial, the sufficiency of the evidence, and the sentences imposed. U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit vacated the defendant's sentences for use of machine guns, determining that the direct court had made no finding that they had actively... Oh, yeah, district court had made no finding that they had actively employed the weapons, but left the verdicts undisturbed in all other respects. There were civil suits. Let's see here. It's crazy. Oh, that was one thing. The dude in that video that he played at the beginning, after the fire had been done and the smoke and everything kind of like used enough where you could go into that area Mm -hmm. and walk around, the fucking first guy that went in... He said he couldn't step anywhere where there wasn't bones. Yeah. Like he was stepping on bones. He couldn't step anywhere that... There was no floor. It was just bones. Without touching a bone. Yeah. That's crazy, but that's how many fucking people were in there. They had no idea the amount of people that were in there. Mm-hmm. Sickening, Why dude. would you fucking try and gas them out? And I understand. You're there for 51 days. They're so all we're going on two months now. Mm-hmm. Fall two months of this. I don't Damn know. near three months. You're at a stalemate the whole time, and I'm I'm sure like the public's crying out for an end. The guys want, you know, the cops want an end. Uh, the mayor, the president, everybody wants an end to this shit. 
but I don't think we got the end we we wanted. I'm how, sure the cops many, did. How many cops died in this? I think it's set up here. Or ATF agents or whatever. I think it's set at the top of this. 76 Branch Davidians died and 9 survived the fire on April 19th. Five others had been killed in the initial ATF raid and their bodies were buried on the grounds. One had been killed by the ATF after the raid and 35 had left her in the FBI standoff. How many ATF people died, though? Uh, or did nobody die? Yeah, no, I know they got shot. I'm pretty, well, yeah, because, um, voluntary manslaughter, so cops died. Otherwise they wouldn't have arrested for it. Right down there. We're killed at Waco. Four agents. No, that's how many honored. Oh. Click on the Waco siege in Wikipedia. It's got to say it in there. That's or is it where we were just at? On. Oh. But I don't, it doesn't fucking say. Unless it's further down. Because, <coughs> yeah, they were convicted of involuntary manslaughter, so... They can't have that many people convicted if only four people died. They might have just been trying to throw fucking bullshit charges and they don't have a a right attorneys. Nine people can't be be convicted of killing one person. Why? Because I said so. Conspiracy. I said so. Uh, Government agencies. Alright, so there's the raid... 75 ATF agents and FBI, three helicopters, 10 National Guard. Hundreds of federal agents were there. Hundreds of federal agents, military vehicles. 9 to 10 infantry fighting vehicles. Jesus Christ. They literally had a fucking army there. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say how many died, though. No. Why is this so fucking hard to find? Maybe only four died. Maybe you were right. Let's see what this is. Let's just go to the site and see. Six division members also died in the raid. Any more second members? Okay. I don't see anything that says the amount, though. Mm-mm. Just says no. It just says four were four were honored, which leads you to think, well, then it was four of them. But I don't know how do you put four deaths on nine people? Yeah. <laughs> Ten things you may not know about Waco. I doubt this is going to have our fucking answer, but... Well, it's one of the things that we want to know. Maybe it's one of the ten. Goddamn <laughs> Christ, these fucking pop-up ads. So, 20 years to the day... There's still a fucking pop-up ad up there. Yeah. Well, I can read it, so... Okay. Okay, we already knew that David Crush wasn't his real name, so that doesn't count. Yeah. Crush told his fire he was the Messiah... See, that's where I got that, but he may not have believed it himself. So that's where I got that whole second coming mm-hmm. of Christ thing. 
the Vidians thought the devil rules the world. I still believe that. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> true. The FBI slipped l- listening bugs into milk cartons they sent into the compound. I, we knew that. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't know it was milk, but yeah, I knew they Well, they put them under the... Mm-hmm. That's pretty uh, good idea, I mean. Um, keep this... Uh, okay. Uh, two FBI teams clashed over how to handle crash, and it spilled over into name-calling. That goes hand-in-hand hand with the... Uh, yeah, I didn't know there was name-calling. Hey, you're a, you're a pussy. No, you're a pussy. Fuck you. Koresh repeatedly told the Muskers he wasn't planning a mass suicide. Many in the FBI believed him. I don't think he... I don't think he did either, but then again, you push a guy so far. I don't know. Who really started the fire? That's the question. Yeah, nobody knew. The FBI told Attorney General Janet Reno that children were being abused at Waco, even though it wasn't true. Uh, interesting. What was that? Say it again. Janet Reno? Uh-huh. That children being abused at Waco, even though it wasn't true. Oh, okay. I got you. So that was to get approval to do more excessive. Because if children are being, uh, you know, um, children are being abused, now you have more right to have excessive force. The Davidians started the lethal fires that day. I still question that. I don't know. I mean... It's possible. Even they say they did. But then that's a mass suicide. Something right. that they said they would never do. But like, I mean, it's like if you're being pushed to the point and there's no way of coming out, out of this. I don't know. I, I guess I could see, I think Crush was nuts enough to do it. And they probably figured, now we're going to go meet our maker type of deal or whatever. Or they thought he was their maker. Yeah, I don't know. Most of the Davidians died of smoke inhalation after the fire began. And uh, that's the fucking ten facts that we did not know. So. Uh, I just... Look at even the the pictures, dude. Like, the fire was just massive, dude. And I'm so surprised it only took 48 minutes for it to burn from start to finish, and it was done. What the fuck did I say? The Waco Siege, Skull and Bones, 322 Saturn Numbers Ritual? The fuck does that mean? That's some... Uh, I've never heard of a Saturn Numbers Ritual. Skull and Bones is a secret society that uh, Bush was in. Both Bushes. Oh, Father yeah. and Junior. Yes, yes. Um, I don't know, dude. It's pretty bad, like... I think, once again, that you have excessive force. I think they... But how can you argue with 51 days? Does a standoff need to go that long? But then again... No, it shouldn't. They weren't going to just walk away right. from this whole thing. That man wasn't just going to turn around and say, Okay, you win, we're done. We're out, see you, brother. Uh, have a good day. But at the same time, were, were they really doing anything wrong? No. They Okay, so he he's a gun collector or he's interested in guns. He's he's obtaining us. He's selling Yeah, they can put you on a list, but why you know what I mean? 
this is just more of the government flexing their muscle, saying, hey, we don't like what you're doing, you're not abiding by our rules, and if you don't come out and talk to us, we're going to kill you, basically. Yeah, they, they don't want anybody to amass enough power to take over. Mm-hmm. And they felt threatened by David Koresh and the amount of, you know, stockpiling he did. They, they make fun of doomsday preppers. They, they have a show that they it's, it's edited and shot in a way to act like they're informing people about this, but yet it's still kind of poking fun at these nut mm-hmm. jobs who mm-hmm. go, you know, stockpile food that can last them for 20-something years and, you know, have a bunker and all this shit. They're, they're making fun of that. They don't want you to think that you need to. They don't want you to have this vision of the government as being something that is... Is negative towards us. Yeah. It, the government's supposed to be for us and good for us, but yeah. it's not. Well, they want everybody to rely on the government, not be on their own, which is why you go after somebody at Ruby Ridge. They right. want to be on their own. They don't want anything to do with you. You can't go off so, the grid without getting uh, killed. How dare you? You know, mm-hmm. we'll set you up and... Fuck right. you over, you know. It's it's stupid. I think the fact that they approached them in the way they did, with a fucking like it's a goddamn army war zone. Yeah. E- excessive force. It's unnecessary, mm-hmm. and, and he wasn't I mean, doing look at that shot. Wrong. Look at that shot with all the fucking tanks right there, dude. Yeah. Second one down. Yeah. Crazy. Look at that, dude. Oh, and that's another thing. Seeing that flag it reminds me. I think it's fucked up. They had the the Abedians flag raised. When the compound fell, they took his flag down and put the ATF flag up the flagpole. I think that was wrong on so many different levels. Yeah, that's basically, well, we defeated our enemy. Mm-hmm. It's what you do in Iraq when you knock down Saddam Hussein's statue. Right. And you put up a fucking statue of Bush or whatever. You right. know what I mean? Like, I don't know. <clears throat> it shouldn't have been a thing no. like that. You know what I mean? And the fucked up thing is... Like, before I watched the Oklahoma City thing, I had no idea that Timothy McVeigh was there. Well, he wasn't a person at that point. No, no, he wasn't. Anybody knew about him. Right, right. No, but even even after the Oklahoma City thing happened, I didn't know that Timothy McVeigh was there. There's there's shots of him selling bumper stickers there that were very Mm anti-government, very white supremacy, very Aryan nation. Um... No, there, there aren't any pictures there of them, but... Yeah, I'm just... But yeah, look at that. Scroll up. I know it's a sick picture. Scroll up a little bit. Yeah, on the far left there, the picture of that kid. That's what the CS gas does to you. Huh. Look at that. The kid's body is like just turned into a backwards C. Yeah. It's fucked up, dude. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't think... Uh... I'm glad it's never happened again. That I know I of. How big that compound was. Is that a pool? <clears throat> it's like a city, dude. Well, not quite a city, but it's like a giant farm. You know? Yeah. It's a big area, though. It could house a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's... So this, then, ultimately led to... Timothy McVeigh had had enough. Yeah. And that leads ultimately to the Oklahoma City bombing, which we'll do in the next episode. Yeah. So I think that'll wrap the Waco thing up, unless you have anything else you want to talk about. I don't think there's anything else that I didn't didn't mention. Um, it, it's fucked up, man. The whole thing was fucked up. Yeah. 
Uh, Should have never went down the way it did. It's weird. Still don't know who Rachel Weaver Weaver is. <laughs> but uh yeah. So next episode? Oklahoma City Bob. Yeah, and then we're gonna do like puppies and unicorns. Do a nice one. <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah. See ya. See the sun through rising Showing forth the light of the day And there you have it. So, last week Ruby Ridge, this week Waco. And we briefly talked about it. It basically is all leading to next week, which is the Oklahoma City bombing. And, uh... Yeah, Timothy McVeigh, that whole thing. Um, everybody should remember that because that was kind of the, you know, first major attack since like Pearl Harbor, but his first like kind of terroristic type bombing in the United States before 9/11. I know 9/11 is like the you know, if you're having a Mount Rushmore of attacks on the United States, you'd have 9/11, you'd have probably the Oklahoma City bombing, you'd have Pearl Harbor, and uh, I don't know, maybe one of these others. But, uh, anyways, uh, so <coughs> sorry, uh, still trying to get over this uh, stupid sinus infection. Anyways. Uh, any questions, concerns, comments, ideas for future podcasts? Um, thinktankpod at gmail.com. Just email it to me and say, hey, check this link out, or go to YouTube and look up this, or you should really Google such and such, and, and uh, we'll look into it. And next thing you know, you'll be hearing us talk about it. It's really that easy. And this is. Uh, this is how you let us know what you, as the amazing listener that you are, want to hear. So uh, we appreciate all your interactions via the email. Also, you can interact on Twitter, if you do Twitter, at the Think Tank Pod. Very simple. Um, once again, do your shopping online. Go to thearyman.com, sponsor tab, Amazon banner. Buy whatever you're going to buy. Amazon kicks us back a small percentage. And... Uh, we thank you for that. Also, Phoenix Beard Oils. Uh, check it out. Buy whatever you're going to buy. Enter the promo code D2R. Get 10% off your entire order and a free sample. That will do it this week. Next week, Oklahoma City bombing. The past two weeks have all led up to next week. And uh, it's the big finale. So, we'll see you then. Give you